Thanks, Rich. It's always good to be with you all, <clears throat> to worship with you, and to get to lead you in this way. Uh, it's my privilege. Uh, again, for those of you I haven't met, uh, my name is Jacob Lee. I brought I brought the whole family this time, so no uh, admonishments. Last time, someone said, "Why didn't you bring your children?" So. My daughter's in the nursery, my wife and son are over there. Hopefully we get a chance to meet you after the service. A um, couple facts about me to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, my favorite sports team is the Philadelphia 76ers. If there's any 76ers fans out there, would love to talk to you. Um, my favorite spot on campus downtown at the College of Charleston is the Cistern. If you haven't visited the College of Charleston, uh, I'd be happy to show you around. Um, I'm still learning my way around, but I'll be happy to, uh, you know... <laughs> Get a student to show you around. Um, and then uh, my favorite uh, food, my favorite all-time favorite food is probably a bagel breakfast sandwich. I love a bagel breakfast sandwich. So just a couple facts about me. Um, I work for Reform University Fellowship, which is the campus ministry of this denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, and my, my calling is to serve um, students at the College of Charleston, to reach them for Christ and equip them to serve in his church and in his kingdom. It's my privilege. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been an honor to, to serve with RUF this past year, and I'm excited to have students come in three short weeks. Um, this morning, um, we're going to be opening God's word. We're going to be learning from Mark chapter 5 um, about Christ our Deliverer. Christ our deliverer. And um, I'm going to read our passage from Mark 5. Um, in front of the, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you want to follow along, it's on page 840 is where we are. Um, if you're not familiar with um, the Bible, uh, it'd be easy to find that page number. So um, please turn there and follow along as I read from Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. <clears throat> and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out, <coughs> excuse me, and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we need to hear from you this morning. Lord, we come together um, to gather, to worship you, to adore you, to give you glory. And Lord, now we come to hear from you, to hear you speak through your word. I pray that um, your word would be clear, that wherever my words are unclear, that they would pass away, um, and that you would be glorified through our time this morning. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, So one of the things that you all may not know about me, um, you probably don't know about me, is that I love Harry Potter, the books of Harry Potter. I'm a millennial. I was growing up when these books were coming out. So um, me and my three sisters read these books ad nauseum. We read them so much. uh, We would get the audio books from the library. We'd listen to them on repeat. Uh, You know, we'd even go to the the movies. We'd go to the midnight showings for the movies. We were big fans. Um, And I think one of the primary reasons that this story and others like it captured my attention and captured our attention, you probably have similar books in your life that have captured your attention and your imagination. I think one of the main reasons this happens is that we yearn for a story like these stories, whether it's Lord of the Rings, whether it's Harry Potter, whatever it might be, we yearn for stories like this to be our story. We yearn to know and participate in these stories because we long for them to be true. Because these stories at their core are the stories of a deliverer, uh, stories of one who can defeat evil once and for all. And we long for that reality to be true in our own lives. Our passage this morning tells us about a true deliverer. It tells us about Jesus, the powerful one, the one who comes to conquer his enemies and bring true healing and restoration. Not to Middle Earth, not to the wizarding world, but to this world, to the world that we inhabit. This man in Mark 5 that we are reading about is in dire need of someone to deliver him. Like this man, we also are susceptible to the forces of this world. Physical brokenness, mental brokenness, emotional brokenness. We, like this man, need Jesus to deliver us and restore us to new life. While, of course, it may feel hard to relate to this man who lives amongst the tombs, breaking his chains and shackles, we can relate in that we often find ourselves in dry and difficult places where we are weighed down by difficult things and dynamics. Friends, Christ is our deliverer. Uh, This morning, there are two parts to our story. First, we're going to see the destructive power of evil. And secondly, we're going to see the true power of Christ. So first, the destructive power of evil. Um, I want to kind of off the bat address something that many of you all may be thinking, at least to some extent. Uh, What is going on in this passage? Uh, There's some sort of strange like exorcism happening. Uh, There's a demon. It seems strange. It seems foreign. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Bible, you probably have lots and lots of questions about what's going on here. Uh, Do we believe in demons? Uh, Are they real? Are they, are they alive today? Do they exist today? Um, Could this happen to me? Am I at risk of this happening? And um, as we consider these questions, I want, I'd like to read a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, about demons. He says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil's. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors. And then here's a quote from his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, which um, it always messes with my mind when I read it, so maybe the same is true for you. Um, it's from the, written from the perspective of two devils, kind of having a conversation together, the two demons. So um, this is a quote from this book, and it's a, a demon, an imagined demon talking. He says this, Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When human beings disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics, at least not yet. As we think about this spiritual realm um, with demons and angels and spirits, it can be very easy to fall into a ditch on either side. This is true of most of life. We can fall into ditches on either side of our, of our life. Um, and we can, in this case, we can either make too much of demons or we can make too little of demons. What Lewis is saying in these two quotes is that demons are real. If we deny their presence and reality, we are subject to their power without knowing it. But he's also saying that if we dwell on them in this kind of spiritual realm too much, we essentially become distracted and focus on these spirits and demons. And thus, we are in danger of losing the true, losing track of the true message of the Bible. The message of the Bible and uh, our passage especially is this, Christ is Lord. Yes, demons are real. Our passage shows us that, yes, Satan has power, but Christ is the one who has true power and is in control few chapters earlier in Mark 5, you're welcome to turn there. Um, Jesus says this, he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Jesus in saying this is telling his followers that in his coming to earth through his ministry, he has bound the strong man. Maybe some of you have heard of this terminology before. Jesus has bound the strong man. Essentially what this means is that he has put Satan into chains. He's begun the work of defeating Satan once and for all. In Mark 5, in our passage this morning, we can clearly see that this does not mean that demons do not still have power. Um, They do clearly have power. So let's spend a moment seeing what the destructive power of evil looks like in our passage. First, we're going to talk about the power of evil in the man the man from our passage. And first I want to note the great power that we see displayed in our passage. This man uh, from Mark 5 is under the oppression of these demons. His plight, the plight of this man is dire. He's in real true peril of destruction. This man we find in our passage that he lives among the tombs. He breaks chains and shackles. And he is actually harming his own body as well. In these statements, we find not only the power of the demons, we see their power clearly, they've got a hold on this man, but we actually also can see the demon's goal. Because their goal is actually to destroy the image bearer that they are possessing. And in our passage, we find that the demon is carrying this destruction out in in three clear ways. He's doing it through social isolation, 
because this man is living amongst the tombs, which is not typically where people reside. I doubt any of you all live in a graveyard. Um, if you do, we'd love to talk to you after um, the service. <clears throat> um, he carries this out in social isolation, like I just said, in superhuman strength, because this man can actually break chains. I don't know about you. I've never broken uh, you know, a strong shackle or chain. Again, would love to talk to you after the service if that's the case. Um, and this man is uh, in carrying this, um, this destruction out in self-destruction. He's harming himself, um, which is not a laughing matter. This is something that many people in our, uh, in our world today struggle with. <clears throat> uh, this demon has power over this man. Uh, the text's verbs in our in in this mainly in this passage are in the imperfect. So I'm going you know deep into the kind of grammar nerd world, uh, but the verbs are in the imperfect, which implies that this man was continually crying out and cutting himself. It paints this really sad, heartbreaking picture. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a villager living in this in the surrounding village close to these tombs. Um, day and night, you hear this man harming himself. So as you're going to bed, you hear kind of the screams, the cries coming out. Um, and he's crying out so loud that even in the village, you can hear it. And he is living on the outskirts. Now I want you to imagine um, that you're living in this place and that this individual, this person, is actually someone that you know. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe uh, it's even worse. Maybe it's your brother or your father or your son or your grandson. Um, it would be tormenting to have to listen to this day and night to know that your loved one uh, was not only in distress, but was actually physically mutilating himself. And before we move on to apply this passage to our own lives, I want to point out one last thing. In verse three, um, in the original language, there are three negatives, which in English, we don't normally do three negatives. Two negatives is often even frowned upon. Um, <clears throat> but the repetition of the negatives here serves an important purpose. It serves to emphasize the grave nature of what was happening here because there really was nothing the people could do for this man anymore. And I want you to note also that it does say that there's nothing they could do for him anymore. And I think this demonstrates maybe the saddest part of these verses uh, because things aren't staying the same. They're not getting better, but actually they're getting worse. Because there was once a time when they could bind this man, where they could keep him from harming himself, but no longer. Uh, this man in our passage is in dire, dire straits. <clears throat> now I want to talk about the destructive power of evil in our own lives. And I want, to, I want to imagine probably that many of you are having trouble relating to this man. Sure, we can pity him or feel sad about the situation, but you're trouble, having trouble uh, understanding how what's going on with this man might apply to you, to your own lives. I'd imagine you feel very, very different from him. Uh, not only do you not know what this experience must have been like, but maybe you're even skeptical that this really is a demon um, that can't be explained in other ways. Um, because this is one of the presuppositions of our modern society, that there's always a logical explanation for everything. You've probably read um, some of those blogs or books or you know, lectures where people explain the miracles from the Bible. Well, this was clearly you know, some natural phenomenon that was happening. Um, and, and that's how our society thinks. We try to find logical explanations for everything. 
But before you jump to that conclusion in our passage, I wonder if we are actually more like this man than we first might think. And if we can actually more easily relate to him um, than we think at first glance. And here's how. Uh, Friends, we are under the power of sin in our lives. I want you to imagine if, I want you to think about if you've ever considered doing something that you knew was wrong, but you still did it. Have you ever done something that you knew would have terrible effects in your life, but you still carried it out? Maybe um, it's posting that gossipy comment on social media. Maybe it's going to that website that you know always leads you down a dark path. Maybe it's not being honest about your hours at your place of employment um, or, your, or fudging expense reports or your year-end taxes. I'd imagine you can all relate to this feeling, this feeling of knowing what is best but doing the opposite. And the reason this happens, the reason we do these things is because sin is real and sin has great power over us. It can even lead us to, to feel like we're doing these self-destructive things. And um, our passage shows us that sin doesn't create, it destroys. And in our lives, it can cause us to even destroy ourselves. Uh, sometimes, yes, like in our passage, this can be the result of a devil or some sort of spiritual conflict, but without a doubt, this is the result of sin. And we are all alike under this destructive power of sin. Uh, now that we have uh, understood the power of evil in our passage, uh, let's turn uh, to a more hopeful note and let's move on to the true power of Christ, the true power of Christ. First, the true power of Christ in the man. <clears throat> I want you to look in verse seven with me. Um, let's look at the demon's statement, what he says. Um, I'll read it again to refresh our memory. Um, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? Um, and the demon gives us this kind of remarkable confession, um, a confession that would like find itself here, right? Calling Jesus son um, of the most high God. And we can see clearly that the demons know, they actually do know who Jesus is. There's no bones about it. Um, they see things clearly. The demons see things clearly. And I want you also to see that this exchange uh, in our passage, basically primarily this whole passage that we just read is about Jesus and the demon. Uh, unlike other stories in the Gospels that you may have read where the disciples are a, ma- are a character or the Pharisees are a character, um, in, in our passage, it's just Jesus and the demon. And I think that shows us that this is meant to demonstrate to us who Christ is and the way in which he is in complete and utter control of the situation. Um, one theologian said that the main purpose of this story is Christological which is a fancy word that means it's a word about Jesus. It's a word about the Christ, the Messiah. <clears throat> so um, note that about, um, about this passage. Uh, secondly, in verse 6, we can see something about the demon's posture. In verse 6, it says that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Uh, I don't think this is saying that, you know, he tripped over a stone or something, but actually I think it's showing us that the demon... Um, fell face down before Jesus. And the word here that is in the original language that describes this action is more than just falling down. 
It's meant to be understood as the demon making an act of concession. He's making an entreaty in the face of Jesus' power. The demon's posture toward Jesus demonstrates that they are fully aware that they have no power over him. They bend the knee. They pay homage to him. Even the demons fall down in the presence of this man, the Christ. Finally, let's look at how the demon pleads with Jesus. Uh, He makes an adjuration in verse 7. Maybe there's some lawyers out there. I'd imagine there's some people who know what this word means. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. Um, and so the internet was really helpful uh, to tell me what this word means. Um, an adjuration or to adjure someone is to urge or request someone solemnly or earnestly to do something. We find this demon is making a plea before Jesus. Uh, some have seen this exchange as the demon trying to make a bargain, trying to make a deal with Jesus. <clears throat> uh, but if it was a bargain, um, it would imply to us that there are at least at some level on the same on the same plane. <clears throat> um, and I think it's clear it's clear to me. I think uh, to people I read about this passage, that this is not a bargain. It's not a discussion. We find that Jesus is in total charge and command of the situation. When it comes to Jesus, these demons plead. They don't negotiate. Uh, Another quote uh, that says that the mighty demons quail before Jesus and beg him, their superior, for a favor. Jesus is portrayed as having true power here. The demon's power is subject to another. Uh, Maybe some of you uh, have young children or grew up watching Disney movies. Uh, I know my son loves to watch movies. the Disney movies. And it's been fun to share with him some of the movies that I grew up with that were coming out, or I guess this one probably came out long before I was born. But um, one of the older Disney movies is the uh, Robin Hood movie that maybe some of you have seen it with the animals, the foxes, and the hippos, and the rhinos. And um, it basically tells a story of Robin Hood from the perspective of these animals. And um, part of the central part of the story is this conflict between Robin Hood, right, you know, steals from the rich, gives the poor, Um, the conflict between him and Prince John. Prince John is kind of the antagonist of the story. And uh, Prince John uh, is just that, he's a prince. Um, And, but he has power because he is kind of in in control. He's the steward kind of of the kingdom while his brother, King Richard, is away. Um, And he, you know, levies these uh, onerous taxes. He empowers these bad actors to... uh, take money from these poor people. There's that one scene in the beginning when uh, the, the sheriff um, takes the coin from that poor little sad boy. Um, uh, anyways, um, but the Prince John has power over um, the situation and he exerts it um, throughout the course of the film. He imprisons people. Um, and then at the end of the story, and kind of this is, uh, I think, illustrative for us, at the end of the story, King Richard comes back. And King Richard is the one with the true power. He's the one who exercises true power. Prince John had power, yes, but he was subject to the power of King Richard. And in our passage, I think that is true for us, um, true for um, Jesus, that Jesus is the one with true power. The demon has power, yes, but his power is subject to the power of another. Um, as we draw to a close, um, I want to reiterate the desperate state that this man was in and the huge change that has taken place. 
because this man was socially isolated in the tombs. Um, He was forced to live amongst the dead. He was breaking chains. He could not be bound. He was crying out day and night, and he was harming himself. But after he comes into contact with Jesus, I want you to look with me at the change that has occurred. And this is towards the end um, in verse 5. Sorry, verse 15. After this man comes into contact with Jesus, he is sitting in the presence of Jesus. He's clothed, which assumes that he was not wearing any clothes uh, before. And he's in his right mind. He's not crying aloud anymore. One of my friends says that this verse is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Um, Just to see the amazing change that happens in this man's life um, from the beginning of this verse and then uh, beginning of this chapter till the end. Um, And I kind of agree with him. It's, It's a beautiful picture. So let's close with the true power of Christ in our lives. What does this passage mean for us? How do we experience Christ's power, his deliverance um, in our own lives? As we close, I want to think about um, these three changes in this man's life and uh, kind of look through those lenses about what it might look like for us to experience those same changes. Um, so this man is sitting, he's clothed, and he's in and he's in his right mind, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Um, what does it look like to be sitting before Jesus? Maybe some of you are familiar with Psalm 1, um, which talks about uh, what wisdom looks like. Um, and it gives this example of uh, the man who sits in the seat of scoffers. You've maybe heard that before. Um, and the idea is, uh, in the Bible, to be sitting is to be kind of under, under submission to, uh, like, receiving teaching from. Um, and in our lives, I wonder if we are sitting before Jesus, if we are sitting under his teaching. Um, I know, uh, at least for me, I, I love podcasts. Maybe some of you like podcasts or talk radio or, or whatever when you're on your drives. And uh, there have been moments where um, I turn on a podcast that I've been listening to for years and years, and the voice comes on, you know, whoever it is, and kind of there's just this comfort, right? You're, you're, you listen to this person talk for hours and hours and hours and hours, uh, and you're just comfortable listening to his voice or, or her voice. Um, and I, uh, I sometimes am convicted to say, uh, do I feel that same way about the Bible? Do I feel that same way about God's word? Um, am I sitting underneath God's word to the extent where it comforts me and it feels like home? And I wonder if that's um, something that we all can consider together. Um, what does it look like to sit before Jesus and to, and to learn from him? Uh, secondly, what does it look like to be clothed? <clears throat> in Genesis 3, in the beginning of the Bible, God gives Adam and Eve dignity um, because he sees their shame where, they, where they've sinned. They've eaten the, the, fr- <coughs> excuse me, eaten the forbidden fruit. Um, and God sees that, uh, that sin and he provides a way out for them. He clothes them. He gives them clothes. And I wonder where in your life that you are experiencing the same kind of shame that Adam and Eve were feeling. Maybe you experience it in your parenting. If you're a parent, maybe you experience shame there. Maybe you experience it in your work ethic or your lack thereof. Maybe you feel shame in your relationship to money and your failure to steward it faithfully. Maybe it's in your relationship to sex, a pornography addiction, or an, even an unhealthy emphasis on our image, being obsessed with beauty. 
wherever it might be this morning that you are feeling shame, I have good news for you. Christ sees it and he covers it. You know, at the end of those action movies where the protagonist has been battered and bruised, he's, you know, been through hell and back and um, he kind of staggers out of the building um, and the ambulances come and someone puts a, a blanket over them and takes them to the ambulance and gives them a safe place to be. Um, this is what Jesus does for us. He sees our hurt. He sees uh, what we've been through. He sees our shame, our wounds, our frailty, and he uh, clothes us. He gives us, gives us this warm blanket and brings us into a place of safety. <clears throat> Thirdly, what does it look like to be in our right minds? And uh, maybe this question about what it looks like to be in our right minds hits close to home this morning for you. Uh, maybe you're here and you struggle with anxiety and depression, and it feels like uh, your mind is actually attacking itself in the same way that this, this demon was attacking uh, this man's body. It feels like your mind attacks itself. Um, maybe your mind is, is, to a lesser extent, maybe your mind is just failing you with a problem in your life. You can't figure out the right course of action and you've all but given up. Maybe your mind is so full of sinful thoughts, of these lustful notions of gossip, of jealousy, of coveting, of hate. Um, I know that my mind fails me in these ways, just as it might for you all. Wherever you are this morning, um, our passage is pointing us to one who is able to deliver us from these places. Christ on the cross dealt a blow to the power of sin and demons in our lives. Earlier, we talked about how Christ has bound the strong man. Um, But of course, we know that living today in our world, that we all struggle um, with sin. We're not free from its power. Um, We know this kind of experientially in our lives. Christ has come, yes, uh, but still we suffer from depression. Christ has come and still we sin in ways that we wish we wouldn't. Christ has come and still we are prideful and want our own way. Friends, Christ has defeated uh, the devil. He has delivered the decisive blow. Demons and sin are on their way out. They are bound. Their power is limited, but they are not fully defeated. We know that to be true. We are marching towards that final day when Christ returned and raises us up in glory. We are marching um, towards that final day when the strong man is not only bound, but is finally defeated. And on that final day, we will all be like this man, sitting in Christ's presence, clothed in righteousness, and our minds will no longer be under the power of sin and death. I hope this is good news to you as it is to me this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we do long for this. We do long to uh, have the power of sin and evil in our lives defeated once and for all. Lord, we uh, long for that day. But as we live now in this time of the already, but not yet, when the demon, the devil has been bound, but not fully defeated, Lord, we need you. We need you to walk alongside us, Lord, to equip us in the work that we have um, in following your law, in obeying your commandments, and in living um, in union with your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would assist us as we do that, because we need you. We need your word. We need to be sitting in your presence. We need you to clothe us, and we need you to renew our minds. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.